Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord. You're such a great God, and we're so excited, Lord, just to hear from you tonight. And Lord, we know that without you we can do nothing, so I do pray, Lord, truly in desperation, that you would be our teacher, not man. Father, I pray for every person who's here tonight, though they may be weary or tired or anxious about other things, Father, I just pray that right now they can stop and be still and that their hearts would be just soft and prepared to hear from you. Lord, that your word would just cut each of our hearts, Father God. And Lord, that you would just reveal to us what you want to show us in your word tonight. Lord, that it would transform us. It wouldn't just be another study, but Father God, we'd be touched by you. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. By way of review, again, this will be the, we're coming to the last stop in the wilderness journey of the, the Israelites. Now, now, it's not the last stop, as you know, because they're going to spend 40 years on their death march because of disobedience coming up. But this was God's last planned stop. This would have been the last place they were, they were before they entered into the land of promise. And we know that each stop they made along the way was God's way of sanctifying them. We've talked about this repeatedly, that He'd gotten Israel out of Egypt, but He needed to get the Egypt out of Israel. A lot of us, God's got us out of the world, but He's got to get the world out of us. Amen? We're Christians. We're new creations in Christ. We're aliens here. We no longer are citizens of this world, but we still hang on to this world. And you know what? We're all, everybody in this room is guilty of that to varying degrees. Amen? We're all guilty of holding on to this world. I know that I am. I know there are things that we allow to influence our thought process, the things that we do. They steal away our time. And so God is preparing them for the promised land, just as He is sanctifying us and preparing us for our ultimate land of promise that's in heaven. We know that as they went through the wilderness, that they had been in 400 years of bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a typology of the world. Bondage is a picture of sin. They've been delivered from the world. They've been delivered from sin. And as they're traveling through the sanctification process, each one of their stops points to something that should impact our lives. I'll go through this quick because we've done it every week. The first one was Sokoth, which is tent town, which lets us know that each one of us is just temporarily living in this body. Amen? And aren't you glad? Amen? Aren't you glad you're not dragging this thing to eternity? I, I know that I am. I've got a stomach problem. I can't wait to get rid of it. Uh, Ethan was the second stop. It's at the edge of the wilderness. The word means with them. And it was there that the pillar of fire and the, pillar, the cloud followed them. And it was just awesome for them to know that even though they were at the edge of the wilderness, the most desolate place on the planet, that God was with them. And even if you're going through the most difficult time in your entire life, know that God is with you. The third place was at the Red Sea between Piahiroth and Migdal. We know that they were backed up to, to the, the Red Sea, and here came the Egyptian army. And you know what? When there is no way, God makes a way. And you know what? God did that to reveal His power to Egypt, just like God will put us into trials in our lives that He might be glorified through us. He'll let us go through difficulty that He might be glorified. We ought to count that as a privilege. Amen? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Blessed are you. You know, oh, how happy is the man. And when we go through trials and difficulties, no, it'll ultimately work for God's glory. They move there to Mara, which is a place of bitterness. Remember that the tree was thrown into the bitter water, made the water sweet. The tree is a picture of the cross. They then went on to a place called Elam, which is an oasis. And there was a place of great refreshment. So after the bitter trials, God brought them to a place of refreshment. If you're in the midst of a bitter trial, know that refreshment is next. Amen? Know that there's time coming when God is going to refresh you. They moved from there to the wilderness of sin. That's where God poured out manna upon them. Then they went to Rephidim, which is a place of rest. You remember there, that's a really powerful chapter. If you weren't here for that chapter two weeks ago, I would encourage you to get the tape. Just because that is one of the most powerful chapters in the whole Bible. It really is incredible. And it's a chapter where he smote the rock. And you have the picture of Aaron and her. 
holding up the hands of Moses as they're battling the Amalekites. And it's a true, a true picture of the cross. As they would look back during that battle, Joshua's down there fighting with the sword, which is a picture of the word. And where's Moses? Where's the pastor of Israel? He's up on the, not in the valley of interaction, but up on the mountain of intercession. And he's interceding on behalf of the people. And he's holding up the rod, which is a picture of the cross. You look back and you see three men and one holding up the rod. What a powerful picture. We know that they smote the rock there, and the water poured out. Again, a picture of the cross, the rod in hand being the cross itself, the rock being Christ. We know that when Jesus was crucified, they put a sword in his side and water poured out. All of that was a picture of Jesus, and all of it was God's provision when they were wandering through the wilderness. And then lastly, we saw that God used Jethro to minister to Moses. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. If you remember the story from last week, that Jethro had been away from his son-in-law, he comes back and he sees Moses pastoring this church of three million people. And he's sitting there all day long counseling these people. Can you imagine having a, a church with three million people? That'd be rough. And Jethro came and said, you know, what you're doing is not good. You know, you need to raise up other men to come and help you, to come alongside you. And we see the first elders being appointed in the Bible. Remember how we talked last week that they didn't vote for the elders. Amen? They didn't know all that stuff. Let's have campaigns. And as soon as you bring politics into the church, it's disastrous. It's never God's highest. Moses, God called Moses to appoint the men who were doing the work already. He looked out and he saw men who were able, men who were called by God and appointed them as elders. Now, I want to say this, that can be abused also. You know, you have churches today where they've got these hierarchies and they've got people that are a total disaster and they keep appointing each other, and that can be bad too. The key is that God must be the one that appoints men. Amen? Men don't appoint men, men don't call men, God does. You know what? Ask people here, I will never call anybody here to do anything because that's not my job. People say, well, Pastor Dave, why don't you tell me what to do? God, I'm not going to do that because if I tell you, then I will have to sustain you. If I, have to call, if I call you, then I'll have to be the one propping you up when it starts going sideways. If God calls you, God will sustain you. Amen? And it's easy to see when someone's called. You just look at something and say, oh yeah, that's calling. Oh yeah, that's calling. You have vision, you have a burden. Just remember that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. If you have a passion for something, if God calls you to lay awake at night because you, you just have so broken for it, that's calling. That's what God did with me when I became a youth pastor. I could not sleep thinking about teen. I would see teenagers on the street and I would stop and get out of my car and share, the, share my faith with them. You know why? Because it's a burden. It's a spawning ground of a calling. And each one of you is called, so be sensitive to what that burden may be. So tonight we're going to talk about something that I know that I have in my lifetime, and I have an idea that all of you have too, have struggled with this. And here's what it is. Hearing from God. How many of you have ever struggled hearing from God? right? You want to hear an answer to something and you just don't know what it is. I had a friend visiting this last weekend and we've been, on, we've been on the phone a lot and we talk a lot and that's like, he's had this roadblock for a year about hearing from God about a particular situation in his life. And you know what? Every one of us, we struggle with that on occasion. And maybe you're struggling with that right now, but we're going to talk about how do we hear from God. We're going to see the final stop in the wilderness and before them being sentenced again to that death march. And we're going to see God's instructions to Israel on how they might be used by Him and to be prepared to hear from Him. So first of all, I'm going to just real quickly give you the points I'm going to make and then we'll go through and look at each one of them. And here, there are six major points on how we hear from God. How do we hear from God? I'm going to give you six major points. The first one is by remembering what God has already done for you. Remember what God has already done for you. Before, you know, before we can trust God for what's next, we must be remembering what God has already done. When you look back and you see the awesome things God has done in your life, what does it do? It increases your faith that He will take care of you in the future. Amen? 
So we need to remember the things that God has already done. Remember that Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So not only do we remember the things that have happened in our life, but also we can look in the Word of God and see the way God's worked in the past other people's lives. Second of all, is if you want to hear from God, walk in obedience to His Word. Oh, Pastor Dave, I didn't, man, stop. Now I want to tell you something. Let me encourage you with something. You don't earn God's favor. I don't want it to come across that way. But I noticed that I can't, you cannot hear from God when you're walking in rebellion. Do you know that that's true? If you're in rebellion to God, you will not hear from God. Period. You can't hear. You become spiritually deaf when you're walking in, re- in rebellion. But when you're walking in obedience to the Lord, and you're walking close to Him, you can hear that still, small voice that the Bible talks about. The third thing we'll see is that we need to make a covenant with God. And what I mean by that is we need to esteem His Word. We need to honor His Word. We need to believe His Word. Believe it. Not question it. Believe it. Third, fourth of all, and we'll go through these in detail, and this might be a heavy word for you, but the word is consecrate. Consecrate yourselves. That means be ready. It means sanctify and prepare yourselves to hear from and be used by God. Fifthly, fear God. Walk in awe and reverence of Him. And then lastly, be willing to listen to those who God sends to instruct you. Be willing to listen to those, because God will speak to us many ways. He will speak to us through the Holy Spirit who will guide and lead and direct. He'll speak to us through the Word. More, more times than not, that's the number one way God speaks to me. I'll open up the Word of God, and God will just put something on my heart and do it. Most of you know, and I don't want to make it sound like we did something really great, but, you know, we sold our house recently. And do you know that God showed me that in the Word? I'm sitting at the, at the church office late at, at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm reading in Luke chapter 8, where it says, that God says to the apostles, go and don't take anything with you. Leave your staff, your money bag, everything behind. Just get up and go. Sense of urgency. And as I was studying that, God pierced my heart, that I needed to get, I just needed to have less encumbrances from the world. And God just put it so heavy on me. And again, you might say, well, how did you get that out of that text? Well, it was the Lord speaking to me. That was specially from God for me. And God showed me that. And so when you're in the Word, God will speak to you. But many times, God will also use other believers to speak to you. But I want to say this. If somebody comes to you and says they have a word from the Lord, you always check it against the proof text, which is what? The Bible. Amen? Somebody comes and says, oh, I've got a word for you. You know, and you, know, you need to go... That ain't in the Bible. That ain't the Lord. I don't know where you got that, man. That ain't true. I've had a lot of people come and tell me that. I've had people come and tell me, give me words, right? Well, God didn't confirm it in my heart, and it isn't from the Bible. So be careful with that, but God will use the Holy Spirit. He'll use His Word, and He'll use others, okay? So let's take a look tonight at Exodus 19, and we're going to see just an awesome event. I mean, I would love to see the videotape of this. You know, I just, it's too bad they didn't have video 3,500 years ago. It'd be great just to see the videotape of this, of this chapter. But just take a look, beginning in verse 1 and 2, of Israel at Mount Sinai. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, that's the place of rest, and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So Mount Sinai is the final stop in God's plan and the journey to sanctify them. And sadly, the disobedience again would lead to 40 years of them wandering in the wilderness, basically a death march. Now, here's something that's interesting. They're going to stay there for 11 months. So for the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers, we're going to be, they're going to be sitting right here in the same spot. They're not going to move. After all this wandering, all this traveling, being led by God, He's going to set them in one spot until we get to Numbers chapter 10. And so it's, Again, it's amazing how God sometimes will move us, He will lead us, He will direct us, and sometimes He will want us just to stay still. 
Now, Mount Sinai, I've seen pictures of what they believe Mount Sinai to be. And Mount Sinai, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's 7,000 feet in elevation. It's a big mountain. And it's made out of rock. And if you look at it, it almost looks like a big pulpit, like some, a place where someone would preach from. And you know what? That's exactly what's going to happen tonight. God's going to be standing on that rock, and he's going to be teaching the people from behind the mountain, or from on top of the mountain. Pretty awesome scene. The word Sinai is interesting. It means thorny. And the reason that's significant is that what is going to come from Sinai next chapter, all of chapter 19 is preparation for chapter 20. It's preparing us for chapter 20, and that's where we get the Ten Commandments. And he's going to prepare the people to receive the law, and as he's preparing them, it's interesting that Sinai means thorny, and thorns were a result of what? Sin in Genesis, remember? And when Jesus was crucified, they put on his head a crown of thorns, right? And so this place means thorny. I also believe that it means thorny because it will also pierce the people's hearts with the law. You know, the law reveals sin, and the law brings conviction. It does both of those things. It convicts us to realize that we are sinners. There can be no conversion without conviction. Amen? If you don't see that you're a sinner, you'll never see a need for a Savior. That's the reason why it's, it makes no sense that people have this man-centered gospel, and they never talk about sin. Because you know what? If you don't see that you're a sinner, you won't see a need for a Savior. You'll think, well, I'm good enough. And we're going to see some people tonight that thought they were good enough, and God's going to deal with them pretty harshly. The law is a schoolmaster, the Bible says, that, that drives us to the cross. And you know, the world says, I'm okay, you're okay. You're not okay, and neither am I. Amen? It's not, I'm okay, you're okay. No, you're not okay, and I'm not okay. We're both a mess apart from God. Amen? Now, in Him, we're made righteous and holy and just and pure. Amen? And because of Him, and we're okay in Him, but apart from Him, we're a total disaster. It's interesting that Sinai is also referred to as Horeb in the Bible, and that, wor- that word means desolate destroyer killer the law reveals sin and sin destroys those who don't repent so it's interesting that it means thorny and it means desolate or killer step number one in hearing from god remember what god has already done for you look at verse three and four and moses went up to god and the lord called to him from the mountain saying thus you shall say to the house of jacob and to the children of israel you have seen what i did to the egyptians how i bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself So the first thing that he does before he brings the heavy message is he brings the reminder first. Remember what I've done for you. Remember who I am. You know, why do we become faithless? Because we have short memories. People who are faithless have short memories about what God has already done. You forget who you were before Christ saved your life. You forget what a mess your life was in, what a disaster you lived in. Remember who you are. Remember what he's done, and it will increase your faith. Note that God speaks to Israel through Moses, chosen as a mediator by God. Again, holy God and sinful man must have a mediator. And in the Old Testament, they had high priests. Remember that only the high priest could enter into the holy place. Only the high priest. And there was only one per year that went into the holy of holies and make sacrifice. But remember, here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? Who remembers? It was torn in half. And now we all can enter into that most holy place. But only because we have a mediator. Amen? And who's the mediator? It's not the priest. You don't need to go sit in a box and tell a priest your sins. Amen? The priest needs to be confessing his sin, from what I've been seeing lately. Amen? I mean, those guys need to get saved. So here's the reality. We don't go tell a man our sins because men are sinful. What, why would a, what can a sinful man do for me with my sins? I need to go to holy God, and I can only get there through the perfect Lamb of God. 
Amen? The Son of the living God, only through Jesus Christ. And so Moses is a type or a picture of Christ in that he is the mediator between sinful man and holy God. And so he comes back down and he gives them the message. Now it's interesting that in verse 3 that Israel is referred to both as Jacob and Israel. Remember Jacob? That was his name when he was in rebellion. Remember his name means heel catcher. Remember that? He was, remember from the Genesis study? And Israel means prince with God or prince of God. And so his name went from heel catcher to prince of God. Do you remember when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel? It was in Genesis chapter 32, and it's when Jacob went and he wrestled with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And as he wrestled with God, we know that his hip was broken, was knocked out of socket, and as soon as he was broken, the Lord said, now your name is Israel. And you know what? Until we can become a prince with God, we must first be broken. Amen? And you know what? A man or a woman is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. And so it wasn't until Jacob was broken of his will, of his passions, of his desires, that God changed his name to Israel. And he looks out on these people and he calls them both Jacob and Israel. Because they still have those who are heel catchers. They're still in the flesh. And then Israel is the name for those who would truly be following him with their whole heart. Now, what did he remind them of? It says remind them. So what did he remind them of? What had God done for them? He had parted the Red Sea. He'd wiped out the Egyptian army. He'd led them by a pillar of fire and a, and a pillar of cloud by, as well. He fed them from the sky with manna and with quail. He made bitter water sweet. He brought water from a rock. He defeated Amalek. And you know what? We each have our own testimonies. Each one of you. That you can look back and remember when God did something awesome. And when you remember what God has done, it will increase your faith. And as your faith is increased, and as you trust the Lord, you will hear more clearly from God when you're seeking to hear His voice. Amen? I want to hear from God clearly. I don't want God to have to yell at me. It says here in verse, in the, in also in verse 4, bore you on eagles' wings. It's interesting. When young eagles are learning to fly, the mother flies under them with her wings spread to catch them if they fall. Isn't that awesome? So when, they, when the eagle, they throw them out of the nest and the mom flies below them and if, they, if they're not making it, the eagle catches the baby eagles. Isn't it good to know that when you fall, that God's there waiting to catch you? Isn't that good? Aren't you glad you're not out there all by yourself like the world is? And so he said, I bore you up on wings of eagles. I bore you up. I took care of you. He had led them. He had protected them. He had rescued them. And he had provided for them. And so too he has done for each one of us. He's protected you. More times than you know, I know we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be blown away at the number of times that God protected us from something that we had no idea was even coming. Amen? I can't tell, two times in my life, I, should, I know for a fact I should have been dead, if not in a major, major accident. Remember one time I'm driving down the freeway, I'm going about 65 on, on a freeway out in the desert, and a guy behind me is going 90. And literally, I look up at the last second, I just barely move by, and he slams into the car in front of me, and they both go spinning all around me, and I drive right through them, and they're slamming into guardrails, and the cars behind me are getting hit, and cars are turning over, and I just keep going. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. My heart just, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And now that's the grace of God, amen? I mean, God is literally, we are indestructible until God's through with us, amen? And so he had led them, he had guided them, he had protected them, he had provided for them, and he's done the same for you. So how should we respond to God's faithfulness? How, how do we respond when we realize how faithful our God is? By walking in obedience. You know what? The highest form of worship is obedience. What's the, what's the greatest things, moms and dads, what's the greatest things your kids can do to show that they respect you, that they honor you, that they trust you? It's they obey you. 
Amen? If you share something with them, they say, you know what, mom and dad, I'm going to do that because you're my mom and dad and I, I know that you want what's best for me, so I'm going to do it. That is the highest form of honor you can receive as a parent. You know, it's one thing if they just give you lip service and tell you they love you and then they go out and live the way they want to live. Well, a lot of Christians do that with God. I love you, Lord. We sing, you know, Pastor Don says, you know, Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them, right? You know, I surrender all. And then you go out and you don't surrender nothing, right? You know what I mean? We tell people, we sing all these praise songs, and then we go out and we live the exact opposite of it. And the reality is that when God has done a work in us, it's, we should respond to him in obedience. Why? Because we love him, we honor him, and we trust him. Does God want what's best for us? Amen? Is this a no-fun bummer book? Oh, I don't, want to, I don't want any people following me to have any fun. Let's put a whole bunch of rules on them. Here, put rules on them, right? That's not what the Bible is. A lot of people look at the Bible like it's a no-fun book. Man, if I read the Bible, I'll be accountable. I better not read that. I can't do it. You know, I don't want to have to do that stuff. It, oh, it's a bunch of can'ts. No, it's not either. Almighty God loves us. He wants what's best for us, and we need to trust Him. I'm an imperfect parent. I want what's best for my kids. Almighty God wants best, what's best for me. So by walking in obedience... We will hear his voice and we will understand his word, trusting that he knows what is best for us. We can't obey his voice or his word if we don't read it. Let me say that again. If you don't read the Bible, you can't follow it. Amen? You know, God is not talking to me. I hear that more times than anything else when I'm counseling. God never talks to me. How much are you praying? Well, I'm not, not really. I don't really pray. Oh, okay, you don't pray. How much, how much time you spend in the word? How much time you spend in devotionals every day? Why? Well, you know, I, I bring my Bible to church sometimes. And I, so you're not in the Word and you're not in prayer, but God's not talking to you? Hey, the reality is you're not listening. Amen? You know, you cannot hear from God if you turn Him off all day. If you walk away from Him all day. He's talking, you're not listening. And so we need to walk in obedience to Him. We need to trust in His faithfulness and let Him speak to us. Now therefore, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now this is awesome to me. So God saves us. He proves his love for us by being faithful while we were yet sinners. He suffers and dies that we might have eternal life. He gives us rules that are best for us. And then if we follow him, he's going to bless us even more. You know what? One of my favorite statements to ask people is, what are you into? When I was a youth pastor, I used to always ask kids, so what are you into? You know, oh, skateboards, or I'm into football, or I'm into computers, or girls, or whatever it is that day, right? And I ask them, what are you into? You know what's interesting to me? If you ask Almighty God, what are you into? You know what he says? He says, you. He's into you. Isn't that good? It says he's into people. You are his special treasure. You are his treasured possession. You are that pearl of great price that he gave everything he had to come and purchase you, to redeem you back unto himself. That's who you are. And it says here that be obedient to him, walk in obedience to him, and you, because you are a special treasure to him. He loves you so very much. You should obey him because you know how much he loves you. All the earth belongs to the Lord. Everything in it but you are his special treasure. That's awesome. Verse 6. And you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now this is interesting. A kingdom of priests. Now what does a priest do? A priest does two things. A priest would represent the people to God, before God. He would go before God and represent the people in making sacrifice for their sin, pointing to the coming Messiah. But the priest also represented God to the people. He represented the people to God, but he also represented God to the people. And he says to Israel, you will be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. 
You're going to be a priestly nation. That's who you're going to be. You are going to be my representation on the earth. You're, all, you're going to speak to men on my behalf. People, when they look at you, they should see me. Boy, isn't that the way it ought to be with every one of us. Amen? We are, can you imagine that? We are God's representatives on earth. We're his reps. We're the ones that he says, okay, you go and represent me. You know, if you go and you work for a company and you go and you're there on their behalf, you're representing them. But you know what? We're representing the creator of the universe. The Alpha and the Omega. If you call yourself a Christian, people are looking at you to see what Christ is like. Now, sadly, that, that representation can do one of two things. We can either bring glory to his name or we can bring harm, bring harm to his name. A lot of vile stuff's been done in Christ's name. Amen? People have murdered people in Christ's name. People have done vile and wicked things in the names of Jesus Christ. I've had people that, you know, I, I told this story before. There was a guy in my office that told a bunch of people he was a Christian. We were working on, when I was working over in San Jose. And as soon as he said he was a Christian, about 30 people started laughing. The whole office, oh, you, what, you, oh, no. You know, they're all laughing. I'm thinking, oh, that's not a good sign. If you tell someone you're a Christian and they start falling on the floor and they're busting up, that's not good, right? Dude, I saw you drinking and you live with your girlfriend and you got a foul mouth and you're this and you're that. Man, there's no way you're a Christian. And so we are his ambassadors, we are His representatives. We're the ones that represent Him to a lost and a dying world. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? What does the world think about Christianity? You know what? They should know us by the love we have one for another. The number one thing that people should see in Christians today is love, not being judgmental. Amen? Too many Christians are pointing fingers. You guys are vile sinners. That's true, but so are you. Amen? And we are just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And when people come in here, I want above all else, I want them to walk out of here having heard the word of God, having had an opportunity to worship the Lord. But man, we better be loving all over these people. Amen? And you know what? I want to encourage you. Here's something you're all called to do. And I'm not calling you. I, don't, I told you I wouldn't do that. But here's what we're all called to do. We're called to love one another. Amen? God's told us we're supposed to do that. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22. And you know what? I want to encourage you, if you're here on Wednesday or on Sunday, and you see someone who's never been here before, we ought to be fighting over them to go and give them a hug and welcome them. Amen? They ought to be just sitting there just getting bombarded with 18 people coming over. Man, we're just really glad you're here. You know why? Because people don't know what you, care what you know until they know that you care. Amen? People really want to see that there's love. And that if we're going to represent God, there are people walking in this door that are hurting. There are people walking in here that God has brought by divine appointment and their lives are really struggling. They need someone to pray with them, someone just to put their arm around them, someone to encourage them. Maybe every other friend they've got in life is not walking with God and they come into this oasis, right? And they're here. Man, we need to love all over them because that's what God wants us to do. And so we see here that we are that kingdom now. You know, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for people to represent him. May we be those people. Number three. So we know that God is calling us to remember what he's done in the past, to build up our faith. He also desires that we walk in obedience to him. And thirdly, that we make a covenant with God. Look at verse 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders and the people and laid before them all the words which God had commanded him. Now I love this part. Moses, in obedient to his calling, laid before the elders all the words that the Lord had commanded him. So what he's saying is Moses did not water down the message. He didn't call them in and say, well, some of this is kind of offensive, so let me just take all that out. Let me rip this part of the Bible. That's just too offensive for people. And you know what? The reality is that Moses was the pastor. 
And Moses was called by God to speak the truth, not to water it down, not to dial it down, not to try to be popular, but to speak the truth. And that's exactly what Moses does. They come in and it says he spoke every word that God told him to speak. You know what? My prayer is that I will never, ever, ever give you my opinion. And that I will never, ever, ever try to just be popular with you guys. I love you guys and I hope you love me. But you know what? My calling is not to tell you what you want to hear, but be obedient to what God's told me. Amen? If God ministers something to me, you know what? My prayer is that every time I teach you guys the word that it's just burning inside of me and I can't wait to share it with you. And so far since we've been here, it's been that way every time. I'm excited to open up the Bible. And you know why? Because you hang out with Jesus, you get excited about God's word. Amen? And the same can do, be true of each one of us. Whatever we're called to do, it's a, it's a get to, not a have to. And Moses came back and he laid out the word. He didn't say, oh, you know, man, that's kind of heavy, Lord. I'm going to leave that part out. You know, they might not tithe. You know, if I, you know, they might not come back. You know, they might go to the church down the street with Bozo the Clown or something. You know, Lord, I, I just can't give the whole thing. And you know what? He didn't do that. He just was faithful and he shared with them the truth. And look at the response in verse 8. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Here we see that intercessor. He brings the word of the Lord to the people and brings the words of the people back to the Lord. And how did they respond? Respond, all the Lord has said we will do. You know the problem that we've got today is too many people don't want to do all that the Lord says. They like to get out of hell free stuff. That's pretty good. I like that part. I don't want to, and that's good. Any of you ever burned yourself before? Every time I, I, I barbecue a lot, and every time I burn myself, I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not going to hell. Thank you, Jesus, right? Because it hurts, right? You burn it, and that's a little burn. I mean, it's not, and there's no gnashing of teeth or weeping or separation from God or nothing else. I'm thinking, man, thank you, Jesus, I'm not going to hell. And so people like that part. Oh, I'm not going to hell. Yeah, let me write that down. I'm not going to hell. But then they don't like some of the other stuff that's in the Word. They want to pick and choose the Bible. They want to take some of it, right? You know, the sad part was I was down with my brother-in-law many years ago, and we went to this Bible study. It was a joke. It was no Bible study. But we went to this Bible study, and we get there, and this guy who's the pastor of the church starts saying, well, Ephesians really isn't, you know, the Word of God. It's just kind of Paul's opinion, and, you know, you can take it or leave it. I go, uh, I raise my hand. I say, excuse me, wait a minute, stop, stop. You're telling me that Ephesians is not from God? You know, my brother-in-law's here. He wasn't a Christian yet. He wants to know God. Should I have him bring up his Bible and have you take a highlighter and highlight the parts that are from God? Because, you know, the Bible says that every bit of it is from God. And I said, you know what, bro? You're going to be accountable before God one day. You're going to stand before God for the statement you just made. I said, you know what? You need to repent, bro. This is wrong. This is wrong. I said, you're, you're, you're leading these guys. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. I, obviously, I wasn't very welcome there very long. <laughs> So, I mean, I would just, it just gripped my heart because how can someone say this is not the Word of God? But people do it all the time. They pick and choose. And Moses did, and he came back, he laid out the whole Word. You know, it's interesting to me, I got a call from that pastor about two months later asking me to come and do their men's retreat. Blew my mind. He gets me afterward, he goes, are you a pastor or something? I go, well, yeah, I'm a youth pastor in Lancaster. And he, really? Well, yeah, you really know the Word. I said, bro, so you need to know the Word. Are you a, you're a pastor, right? And he goes, well, you're a youth pastor? We're looking for a youth pastor. I go, oh, we, you and I wouldn't work. That wouldn't, no, there's no way. That wouldn't work. There's no, it wouldn't happen. Why? Because there's no love for the Bible. And so here Moses just teaches it, and the people say, we'll do all of it. Everything that's in there, now we know they're not going to do it because they're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But may we start with that heart. May we not say, I surrender some. May we not say, oh, we'll do part of your word. But may we surrender all and give it all to the Lord. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick of a cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. 
So he went to the Lord. The, the cloud comes down. It's a representation of the Shekinah glory of Almighty God. And, God. and Moses comes to him and says, The people have said, Lord, they will honor all of your words. Everything you say, they say they will follow you. And so he brings the word back from God, from the people to God. You know, it's interesting to me that God's doing the supernatural to confirm this ministry to Moses just as he had done with Jesus. Do you remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry? How did his public ministry begin? It began at what? Where? At a wedding? That's right, he did that. But before the wedding, what did he do? At his baptism. When he was baptized in the River Jordan, remember when he walked in? What did did, uh, John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Man, that's an awesome statement right there. They've been sacrificing lambs for hundreds of years, and here's the answer, you guys. Then they baptized him, and what happened when he came up out of the water? The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The sky opened up, and God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I think that would get some people's attention. Amen? Oh, I guess this is it. Right? They confirmed his ministry. It's interesting, when the apostles in Acts chapter 2 went out for their public ministry, what happened to them before their public ministry started after the Lord had descended into heaven? The Holy Spirit fell upon them, tongues of fire, and they spoke in every language of every person who was there, the wonderful works of God. They became bold witnesses for the Lord. So at the beginning of their ministry, God did something supernatural to prove that they were called by Him. And you know what? The same thing's happening here. Moses is going up on the mountain. You're going to see some supernatural stuff. This is the most, one of the most awesome sermons ever in the Bible. And again, I wish I had a videotape to be there. So again, God is going to confirm that Moses is speaking on his behalf. You would think that the things they've seen so far would have been good enough. I mean, seas parting, I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably God, I'm thinking, right? I mean, you know, uh, plagues and lice and, you know, the Passover, and I think that's enough, but God's going to prove it one more time. Number four thing that we need to do is consecrate ourselves, sanctify and prepare yourselves to hear from God and to be used by God. Leviticus 11.44 says this, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word consecrate or sanctify means to call out from the world and to call us to a closer walk with God. To be called out from the world and closer to God. Again, this is not something we earn by our good works. But let's take a look at three things we're going to see that are part of that sanctification process. Look at verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now this is interesting that he wants them to wash their clothes. First part of this consecration act. Now was it because dirty clothes are a bad thing before Almighty God? No. This is a symbol of the fact that they needed to realize that they themselves were imperfect and were in in need of cleansing. Now I want to say this though. I think that when we go before God that it ought to be something special. Amen? I think that when we get ready to come to church, that we shouldn't be rolling out of the rack at a quarter to ten and wiping the sleep out of our eyes and searching for our Bible and then coming in here and napping at church. If you're going to nap, just stay home, right? I mean, I believe it really should be something special. We should really be excited about hearing from God. This is not a class like math, okay? This is Almighty God, Lord willing, is coming to speak to each and every one of us. It's a supernatural occurrence, and we ought to be excited about it. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid, you get ready for Sunday morning on Saturday night. Amen? How, how, much, how much sleep you get. You know, get up in the morning and be ready to hear from God and show up at church. Just breathlessly, wait. Lord, I want to see you today. I want to meet you today. I want to worship you today. I want to hear from you. And they're washing their clothes in preparation to go before God, to be a picture of that symbolic cleansing that needs to happen. Again, you know what? It's interesting. If you prepare yourself beforehand, you get so much more out of church. You really do. 
You know what? I want to encourage you. One of the many great things about teaching verse by verse through the Bible is you guys already know where I'm going to be next week. Amen? Don't you? I'm going to be in Exodus 20 next week. You know where I'm going to be in, on Sunday, Luke 16. Now, how do you know that? Because I just taught the previous chapter. And so what's awesome to me is some of you guys are very faithful to read ahead. You'll come up to me and, man, he's infamous. Man, man, this is a great chapter. Well, how does he know that? He's already read it, right? And it's amazing. My pastor down south, my, I used to love to read ahead, and I would even take notes, and then I would come in, and it would be awesome because since I've been in the text, and I've been reading the text, and I've been studying the text, I would get so much more out of it. Why? Because I had consecrated myself to that. I was excited about it. I didn't just show up five minutes ahead of time and say, well, you know, I've got nothing else to do. I guess I'll show up. Again, Verse by verse, you should know what's coming and be ready for it. Verse 11. And let them be ready for the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down upon the mountain of Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, this is pretty awesome. On the third day. You ever heard of that before in the Bible, the third day? Is that familiar? I hope so, okay? If not, we need to talk after. But the third day, what happens on the third day? Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? And what it says in that same sentence is the Lord came down. Now, the Lord came down is the picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to the earth, the Lord came down, amen? And the third day is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, this is all the way back in Exodus 19. And you've got to love it when you see so clearly the gospel in the Old Testament. The next thing we need to do, along with you know, washing our clothes, cleansing ourselves, the Bible says that, that, we wash, that we cleanse ourselves by the washing of the water of the Word of God. That's how we cleanse ourselves and prepare ourselves to hear from the Lord. The next thing we do is we need to watch our step. Look at verse 12 and, 11, uh, 12 and 13. Excuse me. Now it says in Ephesians 5.16, See that when you walk, you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. As His followers, we must allow Him to lead our every step. Look at what it says in verse 11 and 12. Or 12 and 13, excuse me. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near to the mountain. So he's given the instruction about this great and awesome sermon that's about to take place. But he says, You're going to hear a horn. You all come to the mountain, but nobody is to touch the mountain. You know what? The Bible says that we are not to touch God's glory. Amen? God cannot have sinful man in His holy presence. Why? Because He's holy, and we would be smoked. There's no way. We can't come in. Remember all the cleansing rituals that the priest would have to do to go in that most holy place just to make sacrifice? Now, that didn't cleanse them literally, but it was something that pointed to the fact that the one that would be able to enter into that holy place would have to be without sin. And here Moses, the same thing, has to consecrate himself that he might go before God. A picture or a type of Jesus. But if any other man came into his presence, they would be struck down dead. Now it's interesting to look at verse 13. I, I, I found this almost comical. It says, if, if, don't touch him. If someone goes up on the mountain, don't touch him. He shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. So that means if someone goes up on the mountain, guys, don't go after him to get him because you're going to die too. Just shoot him with arrows from the ground. Throw rocks at him. That's what he's telling them. If anybody touches the glory, you shoot them down. If anybody comes near to me in their sinfulness and tries to get in the way of my, my work with my people, then you shoot them down. What does that say? That means if you see Benny Hinn on TV touching the glory of God, you say heretic. And you're not afraid to say it. 
Amen? You know, all these guys who teach wealth and prosperity, and they teach lies, and they teach there's many other Gospels. You know, Kenneth Copeland, oh yeah, you're going to do this, and the Mormon church says you're going to be God one day. No, you're not. You're never going to be God. Amen? And someone teaches that lie, you know, get the bow out. I mean, in love, but hey, bro, you know what? You're touching the glory. You don't touch the glory. Pastor Chuck's message, every pastor's conference, first message is always, touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. He says, you guys are pastors, don't touch any of that. You shouldn't have anything to do with the money in your church. You shouldn't have anything to do, don't be anywhere near any alcohol. Don't be near any women. You need to be above reproach with that. And don't touch the glory of God. Don't you dare touch the glory of God. Don't you ever act like it has anything to do with you because it doesn't. Amen? Anything good that happens has to be God because we're sinful and wicked people. Amen? Only He can be glorified. And when men start to talk, I'm anointed. Oh man, stop it. You know what? You're a sinner. Amen? I hear that stuff on TV all the time. Bro, stop it. You know, that's pride. Pride goeth before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. That's why Satan got thrown out of heaven. He wanted to be like God. You're not going to be God. And so we see here that it says, you know what? They're not to touch the mountain. They're not to come on the mountain. They're not to draw near to me. Why? Because sinful man cannot be in the presence of holy God. It's impossible. So Moses, again, and the priests, etc. Now look at verse 14 and 15. So the second thing is watch your step. And lastly, the things that we need to do to consecrate ourselves is deny our flesh. Look at verse 14 and 15. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day, and do not come near to your wives. Now, there are times in our walk with God when God wants us to fast. When he wants us to deny our flesh that we might see him more clearly. He wants us, there's times when he wants us just, again, not to prove how holy we are. And the priests used to do it, and they walk around with sackcloth and ashes on, and, oh, look, I'm fasting, oh, look at me, I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. No, God doesn't want you to do that. If you do it, keep it quiet. You do it for the Lord. And it's only so that you won't be so, instead of concentrating on food, he wants you looking to him. And here he tells the men for the third day, he says, you know what, guys, just stay away from your wives. Which means don't have physical intimacy with your wives. Don't have any food, don't have anything. Now, God's highest is that we eat. Amen? He wants us to eat or we'd all die. He gave us food, right? He gave manna. And God desires that a man and woman in marriage, that there be intimacy. Of course, that's God's highest. God, lo- God loved that. But here's the thing. He says, there are times when you need to set aside and say, I'm not going to eat. I'm, I'm going to stay, stay clear from having intimacy with my wife. I'm going to fast something else. I know people that fast their TVs. I'm getting rid of my, I'm not going to watch TV for the next six months or the next month. I'm not going to watch sports. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that because these things distract me and get my eyes off of God. Lord, I'm not going to do anything that gets my eyes off of you. And that's what he's saying right here. You know what? The third day's coming. It's going to be awesome, guys. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to be ready. I want you to be consecrated. I want you to be set apart. So we need to deny the flesh. The Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Number five in steps to hearing from God is fear God. Walk in awe and reverence to Him. Almighty God is going to appear to the people as we move on, and the sermon unlike any preached ever before. Let's look at verse 16. Then then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings, a thick cloud in the mountain. The sound of a trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Now, I don't think words on a page can do this justice. But can you imagine you're in the camp and Almighty God starts moving? And I have an idea, and I know for a fact, that when God moves, it's not quiet. Amen? He can move in a still, small voice, but when He wants to get someone's attention, He can do it. Amen? 
And here we see in this verse, it says in, in verse 16, that it came to pass that there were thunderings and lightnings. Almighty God got their attention of every Israelite that was in the wilderness. Moses had prepared them, they were ready for that third day, but if they were asleep, he woke them up with some thunder. Amen? If they were looking somewhere else, he cracked some lightning off in the sky so their eyes would get off the world and they'd get their eyes on him. And then, if that were not enough, the mountain, they heard a trumpet, a loud trumpet in the air. So all the people of the camp trembled. You know this trumpet was loud. And we're going to see that it gets even louder in a minute. Where else do we see trumpet in the Bible? Revelation. You know what? There's another trumpet coming. We're going to talk about that as we move on through the text. And when it comes, it's going to be heavy. Now, it's interesting, the third day of the resurrection, the Lord coming down, God being made incarnate, and here we see the trumpet of God, which is a picture of what? The rapture, Jesus coming back, amen? Right here in this little few verses of Exodus, you have the Lord coming down, you have the third day, and you have the trumpet of God. All of it, a picture of Christ his resurrection, and his coming back. It says in Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised corrupt, incorruptible and we shall be changed. It also says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, many of you probably know this verse, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet points to the end, it's coming. And you know what's awesome? I'm looking forward to that trumpet. How about you? Amen? And the word there, and when you go into in 1 Thessalonians, is where we get the word rapture. Captured away, snatched away. Raptizo, which means be raptured. And that's what, where we get that word. People say rapture's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's in, it's in Latin. It's not in English. But that's where we get it. And so that's the rapture of the church that's being pointed to here in these verses. Verse 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So can you imagine? Three million people. The trembling comes. The lightning comes. The thundering comes. They hear this loud trumpet, and he brings them out and says, God's going to talk to you guys. And three million people coming out to the mountain of Mount Sinai, standing at the foot of the mountain, looking up, waiting to hear from God. Before them is Mount Sinai, this huge mountain, 7,000 feet in the sky, shaped like a pulpit, and Almighty God is going to bring the most, one of the most awesome sermons ever. Almighty God is going to speak to three million people. And, and you know what? He got their attention. Can you imagine that scene? Three million people, they're standing there. Lord descending upon it in fire. Look what it says in verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So now there's fire coming down. There's smoke coming down. There's thundering. There's lightning. It's shaking. There's smoke everywhere. The people are like, whoa. And they're trembling already before, it starts, before everything else starts. And now they're looking up in the sky just waiting to hear what God is going to say. The whole mountain. Just when you thought it couldn't, get, it couldn't get any more awesome, look at verse 19. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Now you can imagine, you're already shaking in your boots. You're standing there before God. You're, you're Whoa, right? It's thundering, it's lightning, there's smoke coming out of the sky. It's the most incredible thing you've ever seen in your life. And all of a sudden, it, it's starting to trumpet. You hear the long sound of the trumpet. It gets longer and longer and louder and louder. And it's intense. It's got everybody's attention. And right in the middle of that, Moses says something to God and Almighty God answers him. Now can you imagine what it would be like to hear God speak? 
Can you imagine? God is speaking and three million people are down there. Now what kind of reaction do you think the people had to all of this going on? I have a feeling they're scared to death. Amen? I think the answer is fear. But you know what? The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? You know what? We need to have some fear and some awe and some reverence for Almighty God. You know what? I think one of the biggest problems today, this is my own personal opinion, I, be- I actually believe that the root of almost all of the world's problems is no fear of God. That's why we have the problems we have. We don't fear God. You know what? No fear of future judgment. Live like you want. Do whatever you want because there's no future judgment. You know, people driving around with Darwin fish on the back of their car and teaching on evolution. Who are they mocking? Who are they mocking when they put a Darwin fish on the back of their car? They're mocking God. There's no fear of God there. Do you think anybody that was standing on the bottom of that mountain that day would be driving around with a Darwin fish on the back of I don't think so, right? They've seen the glory. Oh, dude, do you, you, you know who you're messing with? Were you, at, were you at Mount Sinai that day? I'm thinking, were you sleeping or something? Because I'm telling you, he's, he's heavy. He's God. It ain't no, lightning didn't hit no puddle, man. I'm telling you. I saw the Creator, and, it, you know, and it, wasn't, it wasn't by chance. Separation of church and state. I'm so sick of that statement. It nauseates me every time I hear it. Doesn't it nauseate you? Well, you can't talk about God because separation of church and state. First of all, it's nowhere in the Constitution. I'm sure most of you probably know that. It's not in the Constitution anywhere. It's a statement Thomas Jefferson made, and they took it and ran with it. Okay? And you know what? Separation of church and state was not to protect the state from the church, but the church from the state. Amen? And here's the reality. It nauseates me because there's no fear of God. They're more worried about being politically correct than thousands of school kids going to hell without Jesus Christ. Millions of them. And you know what? I think it's time that we dial it up a notch or two. Amen? I'm so sick and tired. Oh, you can't talk about that. You're at school. What do you mean you can't talk? You think John the Baptist? Oh, okay, I guess I'll leave. Do you think he would, like, go home? How about Elijah? you think he'd go home? How about the Apostle Paul? Dude, you can't be talking about God. You're at work. I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing that. I don't think there'd be any problem. I think he's pretty driven and pretty bold. And I think we need more driven and bold Christians today. Amen? You know what? I've told you this before. I used to tell the kids in youth group, Pastor Dave, they said we can't pray at school. I said, pray anyway. What are they going to do? Pray anyway. Well, they won't let us have a Bible study. Go out on the lawn and have a Bible study. Do it anyway. I mean, you know what? There comes a time we're to honor the people that God's put in authority over us, but as soon as they tell us to do something contrary to God's Word, we don't honor them anymore. Amen? Now, we do it in a loving way, but we honor God above all else. What about greed and anger and selfishness? What about rape, adultery, homosexuality, the pursuit of fame, worldly position, having a a physical, temporal perspective rather than a spiritual, eternal one? Every bit of that is rooted in no fear of God. It's all about feed my flesh, feed my will, feed my passions, feed my desire. You know what? Because, you know, guys I used to work out, out with used to say to me, Amen. Live, live hard, die young, and bury a good-looking corpse, right? That was, their, that was one of their credos. And the reality is that nobody in this room is a temporal being. You're all eternal. And there's no such thing as a temporal being on this planet. They're all eternal. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. It's just a matter of where we're going to spend it. Amen? And that is the most important thing that there is. Nothing else matters. It all pales in comparison to that one issue. But you know what? We spend, we'll spend 90 hours a week doing something else and an hour and a half a week seeking after God. The reason that they're, they're, they're having these problems is there's no fear. We should have fear of God. Fear, awe, reverence. And the word fear there means fear. Not the old fear. It doesn't mean fear. It means, uh, no, it means fear. I mean, it's good to have a little fear. Now, again, with my children, they, lo- they know that I love them. They know that I would die for them. But there, there needs to be a little fear there. 
there needs to be a little understanding that dad's bigger than me. You know, and if I, if I you, know, go, you know, do something to mom, I'm in trouble. And I, you know, I probably shouldn't do that. You know, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be the Board of Education coming out from the bottom drawer, right? And they don't want that. And the reality is that we need to have a godly fear, an awe, and a reverence. We shouldn't be flipped when we talk about God. I hear people talk about God, and they talk about Him like He's, you know, some stars up in the sky, and they, the way they talk about God, we need to talk about God with reverence. Amen? He is Abba Father. We can crawl up into His lap and be near to Him, but we need to reverence Him, not, not mock Him in the way that we talk about Almighty God. You know what? Nothing makes me more angry than when I hear people curse God's name. It makes me angry. And I have to admit, when I see a Darwin fish, I was telling my dad this the other day, I wanted to smack it in the back of their car. That's my flesh. I know it. I see a Darwin fish, I'm like, oh yeah, survival of the fittest. How about that? You know, how's that working? But no, I don't do that. That's not, that's not what the Lord wants me to do. But when I see that, I believe it's righteous anger. I'm like, man, you're killing me. And the Lord says, pray for him. And you pull up next to him, and he's, oh man, I'm going to pray for that guy. I need to pray for him. Because I know that he's a mess if he's got a Darwin fish on the back of his car. But here's the reality. We, want, we need to want to hear from God. We need to want to desire that the Lord would just pour out His Spirit upon us. We need to desire above all else to be in such fear and awe and reverence of Him that we're just, every moment, we're saying, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I honor you? How can I be in reverence of you? And not allow anything else to come before Him. Seek Him first in your decision-making process, not last. You know what? That's a, one of the biggest things that happens in the church today. People go out and make a bunch of decisions, and then you've got the U-Haul packed, and they've got the car packed, and they're driving out of, out of state, and they, you know, they stop at the first rest stop and pray and ask God to bless their move. You know, we need to pray and ask God if we should move before we move. Amen? We need to pray and ask God about, about the job, about the marriage, about the finances, about everything. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make sure you hear from the Lord first. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. If you're confused, you have not heard from God. Amen? And you just wait until you hear from Him, and then you obey Him. We're almost done. Heed those who God sends to impart truth to you. This is the last one. Look at verse 20. Moses spoke, God answered him in a loud voice, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. So any who came near to God and even looked upon Him would die. Why? Because sinful man cannot be in the presence of holy God. Their desire was forbidden knowledge. They desired to see something that they could not see. It's the same thing that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. Remember that? They went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, if you eat of that in that day, you will surely die. Why? Because they weren't able to assume that. And you know what they did? When they ate it, what happened? Death took over. That's when the thorns came in. That's when all, all the fallen nature around the whole world came from that one moment when they desired knowledge above what God had planned for them to have. And so the same thing is happening here. He says, if anybody comes up, if they even look up here, they're going to die. Now we know from Hebrews that some of the priests looked upon the mountain and they dropped dead. We know from Hebrews. It's not here, but in Hebrews it talks about it. So some of them died. And look at Moses' response. Look what Moses says. Verse 23, but Moses said, the people cannot come up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, for you warned us saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. So Moses responds to God and says, oh, they can't come up here. We put some barriers up down there. They ain't coming up here. You know what? He, he's blowing it because God knows the hearts of men. You know, physical boundaries will not keep men from sinning. That's not, you know what? People think that if I go to a 12-step program and I have 87 people looking for me to keep me from doing something, then I'll stop. You know what? 
you may stop drinking, but you still got a sin problem. Amen? The reality is the thing that will transform your life is falling in love with Jesus Christ and having a personal, intimate relationship with Him. It'll be a get-to and not a have-to. It won't be barriers that will keep you from sinning. You know what? If you change someone to, to, the, to their room, they're still going to sin because they still have a, a, their thought process. Amen? And he's saying, look, the, the boundaries won't stop them, Moses. You need to tell them, but the boundaries won't stop them. Moses thought they would. Last two verses. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he spoke to them. Now it's interesting that the priest that he talked about in verse 22, he said, tell them to consecrate themselves. Some of the priests had not washed and cleansed themselves because they were priests and they thought they were holy enough that they didn't need to. And a lot of people today that think they're so holy, they think they're so righteous because of the position they have or the spot that they're in or the title in front of their name that they don't need to consecrate themselves to God. But the reality is that we all must fall on our knees and repent of our sin. Amen? We all must work constantly on being consecrated unto the Lord. We shouldn't be kissing these men's rings. We should be praying for their consecration. They too need to repent of their sin. If the worship team will come back up. So in review, hearing from God. How do you hear from God? Number one, remember what God's already done. It will increase your faith. Just as He reminded them of all the things He had done for Israel, remember what God's already done. Second, walk in obedience. Be His representative to a lost and dying world. Trust God that He loves you and He knows what's best for you. Thirdly, make a covenant with God. Esteem His Word. Seek His will above all else. Next time you make a decision, pray first, not last. Amen? Seek the Lord. Wait till you hear from Him. Be still and know that He's God. Don't move until God tells you. Fourthly, consecrate yourself. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. Prepare yourself to hear from God. Fifthly, fear God. Walk in awe and reverence of Him. And then sixthly, hear those who God sends to impart truth to you. Moses was sent down by God to speak this truth to the people. They could either heed His word or they could disobey Him. Check it out against the word though when you do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for Your word. We thank You that You're a great and an awesome God. We thank You, Lord, that You don't call us to do anything that You won't equip us to do. And Lord, as You call us to be set apart for Your kingdom, as You call us to be holy for You are holy, Lord, we know that we can only do that in your power. We can only do that when we die to self. Father, we so desire, Lord, that you would be glorified, that we would be your representatives, Father. Lord, I pray that each one of us would walk in fear and awe and reverence of you, that we would never take our, our walk with you lightly, that, Lord, we would never make you fifth or tenth or twelfth in our lives, that, Lord, you would be first in every aspect of our lives, that we would seek you above all else, that we would love you above all else. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, Lord. You're a great and an awesome God. We just ask, Lord, that you just continue to pour out your spirit upon us, that we might walk in the fullness of who you are, not in our flesh. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.